Good evening, church. It's good to see everyone. Uh, Will you please stand with me in the honor of reading God's word? We're going to read one verse. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. It says, When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. Let's go ahead and have a seat. And I, let, me, let me pray for the message tonight. Father God, I thank you so much, Lord, for, for this opportunity to be, Lord, with your family, Lord, to be with the church that you have established. Father, I pray tonight that as we dive into the word, Lord, that you would, you would be glorified, that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, that you would draw us ever near. Father, may your spirit just be poured out upon us and cause our souls to come alive for you. Be with us tonight. In your name I pray, amen. All right. Well, good evening, church. It is great to see everyone. I'm going to give you a little bit of a secret. Uh, Typically, when I come and sit in on church and I'm not speaking, I sit in the back. Um, I do that because growing up, I like to be the kid who sat in the back of the bus, right? No bus driver doesn't see what you're doing. You're just hanging out, doing whatever you want. That's where I see you, Mike, hanging out back there. (laughs) But uh, for the last couple weeks, as I've been sitting up front and, and getting ready for the word, I've noticed something. When you sit closer to the front, you hear all the voices of the rest of the church, and it feels like you're a part of something. But when I sit in the back, I feel like I'm observing something. Just... I don't know. I, it, it does my heart well to, uh, to feel like I'm a part of something. So I just thought I'd share that insight. That, that honestly like, convicted me as I, as I had that realization and things. So, but that has nothing to do with tonight's message. I just thought I, that one's free. So <laughs> I thought I would just share, share that. But uh, anyway, so tonight we are actually concluding a series of messages that we have been uh, calling the God-shaped man. While Pastor Mike has started a series called On Track, he, he decided, to, well, it just worked out in the schedule that he was, he's on the mission trip this week. He was also doing some classes for his PhD, and apparently family time's important, so they did a couple of vacations in there. So in the midst of that, some of us have been holding down the fort, and we've started a mini-series on, honestly, biblical manhood. Now, tonight I get to conclude that, and it's been four topics. As a review, we looked at that the, the God-shaped man, he takes responsibility, Right? Godly manhood takes responsibility. He doesn't, doesn't pawn off responsibility on someone else, but steps up to the plate and, and is responsible. The second is that he, he takes action. And last week we learned that he leads courageously. And tonight, as we conclude this, we're looking at the, the idea that, and honestly, you could look at this just as, as an, not just as a man, but honestly, adults, right? Adults. The God-shaped man seeks the greater reward. Now, let me share with you, again, why I think a series on biblical manhood is so important to me. I have grown up with daddy issues. Actually, if you, if you speak to most millennial men, there is this, there's, daddy issues are a real thing. I have grown up in a way that I know what I don't want to be when it comes to the idea of manhood. And I have grown up very confused on what manhood should be. I explained last week that growing up here in, in Longview, I, t- I don't really follow the, the, what, what was displayed to me as manhood. I don't swing hammers. Well, I do now. Not at things. I just wildly swing hammers. 
Um, I don't swing hammers. I don't drink beer. I don't spit tobacco. I don't like, there's just, just that macho, macho dude driving a truck. I just, I'm not that guy. Like if it were up to me, I'd like, I drive a Tesla, be on the computer a lot. I'm really good at the Sims. If you've ever played that, I don't know, but I, I've grown up in a way that I, I, I really wonder, like, what is biblical manhood? Because I want to be pleasing to the Lord, and I want to make a difference. I, if I'm created to be a certain way, I want to know what that is. And I have thanked God so much that he, he has laid out what biblical manhood is. And there's so many books out there that you could read to see what that is. And honestly, it's good. I used to teach this to the, to the youth group girls. It's good for girls to know this, too, because they need to know what to look for as they grow up and as they are looking for, for a, a, a mate. Because the truth is, there are a lot of liars out there, just 100%. If you're watching online right now and you're thinking about marrying someone, just know people are charlatans, all right? <laughs> Throwing that out there. And the truth is, as you walk with the Lord and as you know what God has called people to be, I think it sheds a lot of light and it helps you identify what are green, yellow, and red flags in someone's life. Now, as we look at this, this series tonight, as we conclude, as we look at the idea that God, God calls a God-shaped man to seek the greater reward, we're going to jump into this. And before we you know, start talking about what exactly, what, what it means to seek the, the greater reward, we need to define what the greater reward is. And let me tell you this, tonight's message is going to be more of a, a, of a topical study. And what I mean by that is classically, if you've seen any of my other sermons, we typically have one passage that we work through, and I use other scriptures to bring out some, some meanings and some context to those things. Tonight is topical, as in we take different passages, and I've done the best I can to make sure they are in their context, to come up with a, a, a theology of taking the greater, seeking the greater reward. So what that means is, is if you're in your Bible right now, and you're looking to just work through a passage, and you're going to take your notes, and you're, you just want everything to be coherent, good luck, okay? So tonight, we're going to start in Philippians chapter 3, looking at verse 7. But as we look at the idea, we, you need to know that the, the God-shaped man seeks the greater reward, and the greater reward is Christ. The greater reward is Christ. Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 3, starting in verse 7, he writes, but whatever, I gain I had, or, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. He picks back up in verse 10 and says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. If you were to read the, the book or the letter of the Philippians, you would see that letter is very positive. We've done a series on Philippians before. You can go back like five or six years, um, and there's, there's, there's a pretty good series on it that I did. And, uh, and what you'll find is that Philippians, it's one of my favorite letters because it's the, the only positive letter that's positive throughout the whole thing, right? Galatians starts off with, what, what church, you're messing up, and you're just really messing up. I'm, we're going to stay on that note, you're messing up. 
And the other letters from Paul to the other church, he, he says there's good things going on, there's some bad things, we need to correct some theology. But the Philippians, when he writes to them, he says, you guys are mature Christians, and I want to just keep continuing to encourage you to maintain this faithfulness of what it looks like to be a mature Christian. And in this context, right before uh, verse, chapter 3, Paul goes on to write about his great things that he's had, the things that, that are worldly, that would think that would give him an advantage and to give him happiness and give him joy in his life. He goes through these things and says, all these things that I had, whether it be power, money, status, all these things that I have, he says right here in verse 7, he counts them as a loss. He counts them as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. God's word tells us that knowing Christ is going to be far more valuable, far more fulfilling, a greater joy than anything else that we could ever invest our lives into. So if we are going to be people, right, adults or whatever, people who seek the greater reward, we need to know that the greater reward is Christ himself. Now, it's easy to say that. It really, it really is. But I think there's a discrepancy between the things that we know that the scriptures say, say to us and the things that we actually practice in our lives that tell us what are very valuable to us. An example of that is, uh, <laughs> in 2007, there was the greatest movie of all time was ever released. It was called Transformers by Michael Bay. <laughs> Now, I share this because of this. But in 2007, I knew that God was calling me into the ministry. I knew that God had called me into the ministry, and I really wanted to be a, a, a pastor. I really wanted to work with people. I wanted to share Christ. I wanted to be on mission. And as a matter of fact, when I graduated in 2005 from high school, I went into college thinking, I'm going to go to LCC, the local college here, get my AA, and then I'm going to transfer to a Bible college where I'm just going to master Christianity. That was really the thought that I had. <laughs> you don't do that. But at the same time, if you guys remember in the early 2000s, the end times were a really big deal because of this little series called Left Behind. If you guys ever, are you guys familiar with the Left Behind series, Tim LaHaye and all that? So as a baby Christian growing up in the Baptist church that I was at, I'd never even heard about like the, the rapture, the, the tribulations and all that stuff. And then people were passing around those books like they were scripture. And then I read them as a kid, freak, got freaked out. But the entire time, I was just thinking, oh, man, the Lord is going to be here at any second, at any second. And I remember somewhere around 2005, 2006, I saw the first trailer to Transformers. And I remember going home that night, getting on my knees and praying, dear Lord, please don't come back until after I have seen this movie. <laughs> that is a legitimate prayer that I prayed possibly on more than one occasion. <laughs> now, I share this, I share this, because that prayer demonstrates a couple of things. Number one, it demonstrates that Christ is important at some level in my convictions, right? As a, as a, as a 20, 19, year, 20 year old kid, I knew that Christ was important, but maybe not as important as seeing Michael Bay's Transformers. <laughs> I, I knew that Christ was gonna come back and I also knew that at some point in time, the Christ was important enough that I should give my life to him and go into the ministry. But yet, at the same time, in my brain, whatever Christ was going to do as for him to come back and take us all into heaven with him may not be as good as me sitting down and watching the, this movie three or four times in theaters. 
which I did do. Now, I share this because there are times that even within our own development as Christians, we know in our heads that the ethereal out there, Jesus, this is an important thing. But the minutia of our lives sometimes kind of takes over. And all we focus on are the things that kind of entertain us, the things that make us happy, the things that, dis- that make us distraught. That's what holds our attention. And though our heart is aligned with Christ, at least that's what we say, we're still really distracted by our flesh because our perspective is focused on our needs or our wants and not focused on what Christ is doing in the overall. So when we say that Christ is, is the greater reward, I think a lot of us would, yeah, 100%, Andrew. But there are times that our actions would not reflect that at all. Now, the question then is, if Christ is the greater reward, and if I'm supposed to be all about that, how do I align myself? If there's something, if there's some, something that has to happen inside my heart, what, what needs to happen? Well, you see, seeking the greater reward, it's about your perspective and your focus. Seeking the greater reward is about your perspective and your focus. As a 19, 20-year-old kid, my focus was just on either girls or entertainment, right? Sprinkle Jesus in there somewhere. But I will tell you this, that one day, I finally left for Bible college. And it was during those years while I was in college, stupid things happened to me that cut me incredibly deep. It was in that maturity that I got to see the gospel far, far, far more than I ever saw before. When you wake up and you start to understand what sin is, when you start to understand how depraved we are as individuals are and how our actions truly hurt someone else or how someone else's actions hurt you, and when you start to see the brokenness of your own life being poured out into others and how that impacts others or how someone else's brokenness just pollutes your life, you start to realize, man, we need an answer. And as you start to grow in your convictions and you start to realize the ramifications of sin, Christ becomes so much more beautiful. That happens because my, at least for me, when I was in college, as I was just inundated with a biblical perspective, you start to realize that all those flash-in-the-pan things that, you, that excite you, there is no answer to the pain and the frustration, the loneliness, the brokenness that we all face on a daily basis basis. And in that, you start to realize that Christ is so beautiful, that his grace is so good. You see, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. 
The context of Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, is such an amazing context, because if you've spent some time in churches, Hebrews chapter 11 is often quoted as like being the, the legendary hall of fame when it comes to those who are thought of as those who had great faith. As a matter of fact, oftentimes when you read Hebrews 11, you see think people like Abraham, you see people like Joshua, you see all these people who are looked at as just these juggernauts of the faith. And in verse 12, it's basically, verse, in chapter 12, it gets to the idea that because we serve the same God that they serve, that we too can step up into this rally call and to live a life of faith that can see legendary, epic glory for God. But in order for us to do so, the call, the call leads us to say that we should lay down every weight in sin, as in we should focus the things that hold us back from realizing who we are to be in Christ. We have to lay those down so that we can run with endurance the race that is set before us. What that gets at What that gets at is that as believers, because we have been given God himself through Christ, that the things of this world, because they are temporary, we have to allow the spirit to change our appetites and our tastes to long for something greater than the immediate. As in, if we are going to seek the greater reward, we need to understand that we, we want to be about delayed gratification. Sometimes people have a hard time with the idea of what is delayed gratification. And honestly, it's what defines an adult versus a child. My brother and I are very different people. I, uh, I love this, that he, uh, he's actually a really good example of good quality food. There are times when, uh, sometimes I'll, I'll go to Papa Murphy's and get us these, uh, like these crustless pizzas. And on, when, you, when you look at them, they have two options. You can microwave it, or you can put it in the oven. Alex, because he enjoys quality food, he'll throw it in the oven and let it, like, the flavors and everything just come together. And it's, a, it's, a, it's an experience. Whereas I just, like, I, melted cheese on anything is fine. Just throw it in the microwave four minutes, and then it's just like this disc of cheese. And I'll eat it. It's not that good. But I want it now. Right? That's what a child does. A child says, I want this now. I want to eat whatever I want right now. Or I want to spend my money on something that will make me happy now. Or if I'm entering into a relationship, this person's in my, in my foray right now. I want this now. But if we're called to be people of God, if we're called to bring God glory, we need to be about delayed gratification. Because instant gratification is what gets us in trouble. There are so many examples of that. You can look at it financially. I know the moment I was in college, Sears gave me a $1,000 credit card. You know how long it took me to max that out? Two weeks. Two weeks. I didn't learn the idea of saving and like putting a budget together until I was like in my mid-20s. No one ever taught me that stuff, and I thought that was stupid. And yet, many, many people live that way. And so they, they, they see financial hardships. They don't live for the bigger picture. Or what, what about our health? You know, what's that, that old ad, adage when you eat like a donut? A minute on the lips and a lifetime on the hips is what they say sometimes. Actually, they say that a lot. 
Two years ago, I, I got a, a, a certification in, in nutrition coaching. You know how hard it is to convince adults to eat vegetables? It's nearly impossible. Because even though we know that these are nutritious, that they'll feed our body, that they'll take up volume, that they'll help us do really well, it's much easier to swing by McDonald's to get something tasty, to get something laden with sugar, salt, and fat and put it together. A lifestyle of instant gratification, it's killing us. It hurts us. And so God calls us to be people of delayed gratification. And as we come back to this idea in Hebrews, it says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. The word endurance is this idea of perseverance, as in it's this idea to keep going. It's this idea that you're going to strategize and do what it takes to be able to go. Almost nine years ago, I had this opportunity to take some of the kids from the youth group to go climb Dog Mountain, which is in the gorge. That is a terrible hike. <laughs> I mean, if you're into hiking, you'll love it. If you think you like hiking, then you really don't like it, you'll hate it. That's what I learned that day. And the thing about Dog Mountain, especially when you're hanging out with a bunch of kids who are like basketball players in, in high school and all that stuff, is that when you get out of the van, everybody wants to run. And in my mind, I was like, you know what? I don't want to be embarrassed by the fact that I can't keep up with high schoolers, because at the time I was like 26, 27. And I was like, I, I need to be able to keep up with these guys. And so instant gratification is like, to keep my pride, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to run up the mountain with them. About like 10 minutes into that, I was like, I, I got to pace myself. This guy does not have the lungs to do this. The thing about Dog Mountain, too, is that there are several false peaks, and this is, the, this is the climb that taught me there's a thing called a false peak. I remember getting to what I thought was the top of the mountain, only to turn around and realize there was more of a mountain that was somehow hiding behind the mountain. <laughs> and in that, I had to find a way to... to muster up the strength to keep going. See, if we're going to make it, if we're going to run the race with endurance, this, this is, there's this idea that we need to see the race for what it is. We need to be able to pace ourselves, to keep ourselves focused, to endure. It's this idea that as we lean into Christ, we continually renew our strength in him, but we won't look to Christ if we don't value Christ. And we certainly don't value Christ if we have an earthly perspective, if we don't maintain an eternal perspective. You see, you as a believer, you, you, every single one of you, even those listening online, if you are a believer in Christ, you were born for glory. You were born for glory, but that glory belongs to Christ. That God wants to make his name great through you, and we know this because in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, it says, for we, all of us, we Christendom, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. You have a destiny. You have a calling. 
And that calling is glory, and that glory belongs to Christ. Don't get me confused. It's not so that you can grow up and that you be famous. It's so that as you struggle, as you move forward, as you run this race with endurance, that someone will look at you and say, wow, there is a God. And that God is good. But we can be distracted from that race. And when we are distracted by that, we end up hurting ourselves. This generation right now, if you, I've been reading some sociology books on Generation Z. And Generation Z loves words like fulfillment happiness, and destiny. Those are the three big words that they use in all their social medias as, they're, as we're trying to figure out who they are about, because millennials used to be about purpose. But right now, Gen Z is all about fulfillment and happiness. That's what they are about. And what's interesting is that the Bible talks about fulfillment and happiness, but it talks about it in terms that you were created to please God, and when you please God, you will be the most fulfilled. But because we don't always exemplify that. Children are getting lost in the fray and not knowing how good our God is because we aren't thinking about the long term. We as believers here in 2021, we still struggle with the short term. We as believers or as men, we, we aren't about the greater reward. We're about instant gratification. So how if, if instant gratification, or sorry, if the seeking of the greater reward is Christ, and if keeping our mind on Christ is about perspective and focus, well, then we need to work on a perspective and focus. And perspective and focus, it requires growing up. Perspective and focus requires growing up. This is a conversation I tend to have a lot, especially with students, because everybody ages, but not everybody matures. Let me say that again. Everybody ages, but not everyone matures. Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, he writes, when I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. There's this idea here. There's this idea of, the, of, of a rite of passage as, as, as people mature there's this idea of leaving certain thoughts and behaviors behind so that you can step up into adulthood, stepping up into what it means to be a man, for stepping up so that we leave behind things that were childish in the past so that we can start to do what really matters. In this context, in chapter 13, if you go to any wedding, typically they, they, they quote 1 Corinthians chapter 13 as the love, as the love chapter. But that love actually isn't about a love between man and a woman. It's actually about loving the body of Christ, serving others. This chapter was about using spiritual gifts that manifest in other Christians, not so that you are glorified, but that you could turn around and take your spiritual gifts and serve others. And you, in order to do that, you have to have a love for others. 
So the immature thought that Paul is referring to is the idea that something you have in your life makes you an adult. And Paul's like, no, just because you have a spiritual gift in your life doesn't mean you're a mature Christian. It's what you do with that demonstrates your maturity. So take a step back further. Because that verse goes on, after verse 11, it goes on to the idea that we see in part almost like in a dim mirror. As in the idea of a mature person is someone who can see things for what they really are, not just the perspective that they have. As in they can see the whole picture and not just the part that they're fixated on. If you want an illustration on what it's like for someone to be fixated on their point of view only, talk to a teenager. We, we see that all the time, right? That kids, kids may understand logic, but they only have their logic. They don't account for the bigger picture. But what's upsetting is that adults who aren't growing in their thought process, who aren't practicing their, or developing their prefrontal cortexes, or all these things, what happens is as they get older, they think that just because they have age, they think that they're mature. And because they think they're mature, they think they have the best perspective. And that's not true. Everybody ages, but not everyone matures. You see, if we're going to grow up, it's about being able to see things at a deeper level, at a fuller level, and not at a surface level. So let me give you an example of that. I have, uh, I have grown up with, uh, and rightfully so, rightfully so, I have grown up with parents who told me I shouldn't play video games because they're just gonna rot my brain and um, they're just a waste of time. 100%, I get that, I get that a lot. But I've noticed something as I've gotten older especially after this last three months as I've, I've had a lot of time on my hands as I can't move. What is the difference between a 35-year-old who's playing Xbox for four or five hours a day versus a Gen Xer or a baby boomer who's watching TV to four to five hours a day? Both don't develop a prefrontal cortex. Prefrontal cortex. You can make an argument for either of them. You can say, I'm watching the news, but then a kid can say, I'm playing an RPG and it's, it's a strategy and tactician game. You could, honestly, it comes down to entertainment. It's, it comes down to the idea that you're both just checking out. So someone could look at a, like at a kid right now who's playing a video game and be like, I'm more mature than this person and have the sense of entitlement and perspective when really you're engaging in the same thing. It's the same thing that you're able to just check out and not deal with life. That's what's happening there. To be able to take a step back and see the pattern, that would display maturity. That would display the ability to take your childish thoughts, your childish precognitions, and these childish architects that you have, or architectures that you have in your mind and put them aside and see things for what they really are. And when you can see things for what they really are, you stop making excuses for yourself. If there are boys listening to this who want to grow up, who want the respect of, of others, to earn that respect, they have to be able to see themselves for what they really are. 
You can't look at your life and think, I'm doing better than someone, because at least I'm not drinking, or at least I'm not doing this. The truth is we're all broken. And the perspective that Paul is preaching in 1 Corinthians is that we should love each other. And if the perspective that we have is that I have a spiritual gift, and I'm doing just enough, but you don't do this out of love, then you're not maturing. And if you're not maturing, you have a very worldly perspective. And if you have a worldly perspective, your eyes aren't on the prize. You're not running the race with endurance. As a matter of fact, you're probably in the stands yelling at other people who are running the race with endurance. So then the question I would be asking is that if we are then to develop our minds and our thoughts so that we can see things as they really are, how do we do that? How do we develop perspective? Well, we develop perspective and focus by being in the Word. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Then verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Last week we talked about sanctification. Last week we talked about that sanctification is the process of us as believers, as we are growing to be more like Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if we are growing in sanctification, that means that we are leaving something else behind, that we are leaving behind different thought processes. And in this passage, Romans chapter 12, verse 2, it basically says there's the worldly mindset and then there's the Christian mindset. There is the biblical mindset, and we all still struggle with it at one form or another. And as we let go of the world, we are to transform the way we see and perceive the world. Our, our worldview changes, and to that reflecting true biblical truth. Because our perspective on things dramatically, dramatically impact how we communicate the gospel to other people. And we renew our minds by being in the Word. Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 talks about this, that when we spend our times with those of the world, it leads to death and destruction. But blessed is the man, who's, blessed is the man who's, who's, who sticks with godly thoughts. I, I bring this up because right now, it's really easy to assume Everyone listening to this message, everyone online, there's something going on in your life that hurts. That's just terrible that you're struggling with. And when you focus on just the, the small picture of it, it's really easy to be like, what the heck are you doing, God? I thought you had my back on this. I thought you called me to do whatever. I thought you called me to, to be a part of this. I thought you called me to do all these things. But what's, what's going on? And it's only when you have a larger perspective that you can kind of have the strength to keep moving forward. 
If we were to go back to Hebrews, it says that Jesus, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2, it says, looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Even Jesus had moments, right, when he was on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But he knew in the big perspective that he was doing so to be the living sacrifice for others so that others may enter into the gates of heaven. And I share this because this is also personal for me this week. This, this week, I, I went and saw a doctor who was the doctor who originally told me there was something more wrong with me that I thought was wrong. When, when I saw a different doctor, they thought it was just piriformis syndrome. And then this doctor freaked out, told me to get an MRI because there could be some, some pretty serious damage. When I went and saw this doctor this week, I walked into his office. And when I walked into his office, he did a spit take. It was awesome to see that. Actually, it's, you know, in, in movies you see that, but like to see someone be like, because you walked in the room, super fun. He spit because we sat down, we talked about it, and he said, Andrew, there's no, word, there's no road back from where you've been. For you to walk into my clinic without any assistance, and for you to have been where you were when I first saw you, there's no road back from where you were. We did a couple tests, and the more I passed these tests that he had for me, he was like, this is crazy. This is a miracle, Andrew. And he's like, I'm not a miracle guy, but this is a miracle. And the moment he said that, I realized that I was two doctors who had told me that. And in that moment, my perspective changed. Because I know a lot of you have been feeling like, oh, Andrew, it's really cool to watch you do, go through this. It's been inspiring. I'm like, I have had my days where I'm like, what is up with this? And I've freaked out. I have stressed. I have been like questioning a lot of my own calling and a lot of like, what does the future hold for me? But to see the opportunity and to see what God is doing, to be aboard, and also to have my eyes just open and realize, oh my gosh, there's more to this world than just what's happening to me. Help me realize that I'm part of a larger plan and it lets me get back in the game to, to leave, to drop the things that are distracting me so I can get back in the race and to run this. You see, I think all of you, just like me, you want your life to count. You want your relationship with God to be ever like, glorifying to him. And I think sometimes we forget what that actually means. Because if I were to show you my journal, it would tell you time and time and time again that I've, I've wanted to face the impossible, that I've wanted to bring glory to God, to, to be like in Hebrews chapter 11, those legendary dudes who face impossible odds. And when you have those kinds of prayers, you forget that going through the impossible really feels like that. But that's the God that we serve, who is greater than all those things. So we, we need men, we need adults, we need leaders who understand that we need to have a larger perspective, that we need to be about the greater reward, who can deny themselves here in the short term, who can deny themselves instant gratification and embrace delayed gratification. We need people who can develop a perspective that is lined up with the word of God. 
And as we bring this series to a close, you know, it's really easy to be like, you know what? We've learned that, that the God-shaped man takes responsibility, that he takes action, that he leads courageously, and now we know that he, he, he seeks the greater reward by having a, a grand perspective. It would be really easy to look at that, to hear that, and be like, all right, here are the list of things that we need to do, and let's just, let's just get after this. Let's just start churning out dudes who can be all about this stuff or pull up your bootstraps and do what's great. But if you do it that way, you're going to deny the gospel. Because what you should be hearing, and honestly, as I've talked to some guys throughout the, this week, as you hear these perspectives, as you hear these, these, these levels that we are supposed to reach to, there's a lot of people right now that feel like, man, if that's the case, if that's what the Bible calls us to be, I don't measure up to that. Good. Because this isn't about you trying harder. That's religion. If you are hearing this and you are challenged by it, then let God do what he's doing in your heart. But also, when you see your own inadequacies, I hope and I pray that you have heard the gospel to know that Christ is more than enough. When you see how inadequate you are for whatever ministry you're called towards, whether it be a, to be a husband, a father, or a mother, or a teacher, or any of these things, and you see how inadequate you are because we have raised the bar, because the Bible has said this is the bar that we should be at, and you don't measure up to that, that distance between where you are and where the, the line is is how beautiful Christ is. This isn't about us as a church saying, let's just pull up our bootstraps and let's try really hard to do this. If you feel conviction, awesome. I pray that you have that heart of repentance and you allow God to just grow you in that. But if you hear judgment, you're missing the gospel. Because if you don't measure up, that's why Christ died on the cross for us. If you know someone who doesn't measure up, awesome. Don't beat them over the head and tell them that they should measure up. Pray for them. When we know where we should be, that's not a call for us to try really hard only to fall. It's a call for us to get on our knees. So tonight, as we bring this message to a close as a, as a church, I hope and I pray that as we look at what God has deemed to be his word, his will for, for, for men, that we wouldn't just sit here and like, let's just, let's just do this but we would be a people who's like, man, God, you are gracious. Can you imagine right now if there, was, if there was just some guy on the internet who took it upon himself to go and listen to every single one of these messages right now? He listened to him and realized, man, I have not loved my kids and my wife the way I have. I have not been providing. I have not been doing this. I have not been leading. I have not been taking responsibility. I have taught my kids to be victims. I have done all these things. Can you imagine if that person felt that way, but then started to realize, but man, God is, wow, my family is not that messed up. That man right there could have a moment and just be in awe of the grace of God. Because despite his poor leadership, God has been faithful in that. Because when they have that kind of heavenly perspective, that man will fall to his knees. And he will begin to grow. So let us be a church of grace. Let us be a church that, though we know the biblical standard, we're not telling people to try really hard. But let us be a church that, together, 
regardless of, of roles and genders and all these things, that we fall to our knees and we pray that the conviction and the grace of God would reign in our hearts. Let's pray. Father God, I, I, Lord, I thank you for this series that we've been in, as small and as um, disjointed as it may have been. Father, I, I pray for your word, that as it plants seeds in the hearts of those who are listening, Father, that these seeds would be seeds of the gospel. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would give us humility. Lord, I pray, Father, that that we as a church, Lord, would take these things seriously enough to fall to our knees and just to pray for your spirit to continually cultivate a people who would know you and love you and find their joy in you. Father, I pray for, for anyone who would feel conviction, for anyone who would feel guilt or even shame. Lord, in that, Lord, I pray that you would show up that your hand of healing, your hand of comfort, Lord, would guide them and grow them. Father, I pray that you would continue to, to mold us and shape us into the church that you've called us to be, Lord, that we would forever continue to, to proclaim your gospel so that others could be set free, Lord, and to enjoy your goodness. Be with us, Lord. In your name I pray. Amen.